and we're going to look at uh, the feeding of the 5,000, which is in Matthew 14, verses uh, 13 down to verse 21. Uh, if you are in a church Bible, uh, that's page 981, and in a large print Bible, page 1,524. Matthew 14, 13 to 21. Well, we live in a, a culture that is obsessed uh, by food. Uh, TV is uh, full of cookery shows. Uh, there's uh, even a, a food TV channel that you can uh, watch. Uh, we have an obesity crisis, whilst at the same time as having that, we have a, a diet industry uh, that is worth billions and billions of pounds. Uh, food is something that people uh, like to talk about. I love to, to talk about food. Uh, it's an integral part of our everyday lives. And whilst the obsession with food perhaps is not a good thing, Food itself is good, isn't it? It was given to us by God for our enjoyment. And often I think when um, I've got a, a good meal in front of me, uh, how good God is to give us food that has different flavors and textures and colors and so on, when he could have just made us uh, just survive on very bland, uh, maybe one kind of food or something like that. But then his goodness God has given us so much food to enjoy. Uh, food is what we need in order to alleviate our hunger and so that we do not starve. If we don't eat at all and we have no food for a very long period of time, then we will die. And because we know what hunger feels like, uh, it, 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 food, uh, hunger is used in the Bible also to describe deeper hungers spiritual hungers. So when we say that people are hungry, we first of all might think of food, but we know what we mean when we say someone is hungry for love or hungry for acceptance or for community or for purpose or for peace and so on. If someone is hungry for those things, we don't go and get them a plate of food. We know what they mean when they say they're hungry for those things. And the Bible teaches us that God is our creator, and as a result of this, he is the one who provides for all of these hungers, the physical ones in the way that he's provided us with food, and the other kind of hungers in the way that he provides for them in various ways. But the greatest way that God has provided for our hunger is by providing us with Jesus, and in today's passage in Matthew, we see that Jesus is the God who provides for our hunger, both physical hunger and otherwise, as he provides bread from heaven. Well, last time we were in Matthew, we saw uh, another uh, uh, example of, of a feast, if you like, with King Herod. Herod had a banquet that was lavish, but degenerate. Matthew gives us a comparison here with a different king and a different feast, an altogether more simple one, 
but a much more holy feast where the guests are truly satisfied. And in Matthew, we've been seeing that Jesus is God's king. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And through the words and the works of Jesus, we have seen signposts that point us to his identity. But we've also been seeing, as Jesus works with his disciples, what the nature of discipleship is, what it means to follow him. And as we go through the gospel of Matthew, we're going to see more and more this twin teaching, if you like, the identity of Jesus and the nature of discipleship. And that is evident as we look at this feast, the feeding of the 5,000. See if you can spot it as we read that the identity of Jesus is shown and the nature of discipleship. So let's read Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he told the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is God's word. So in this passage, we, we see signposts to the identity of Jesus in what he does and how he acts. And in the response of the disciples, we see the nature of what it means to follow him. And I see in this passage, I think, three major signposts to the identity of Jesus. So we'll look at the signposts that point to Jesus. And in the midst of these signposts, we'll look at what it means to follow him as the disciples. And that first signpost is divine sympathy divine sympathy. In verse 13, we read uh, about uh, what had happened. Uh, it says there, when Jesus had heard what had happened. Well, what, what had happened? Well, actually, it links back to verse 2 of chapter 14. So if you look at verse 2, that's where Herod thinks Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead. So Herod hears this, and when Jesus hears that Herod hears this, he realizes that there could be trouble, he is in danger, and so he withdraws to a solitary place. Chapter 14, verses 3 down to verse 12, is a flashback. So this verse is not saying when Jesus heard John the Baptist had died, because that had already happened a while ago. It means when Jesus had heard that Herod thought he was John the Baptist, and he realized his life may be in danger, he withdraws to a solitary place. 
Uh, he was uh, probably going out of the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas where he would be safe. And so he withdraws by boat privately to a solitary place. No doubt he was in need of rest. And so he comes away with his disciples to somewhere on their own. Uh, it's interesting in a passage where we clearly see the divinity of Jesus in the fact that he needs rest. He goes away to a solitary place. He wants to be on his own. Uh, we, we, we see there something of his humanity. But the use of the word privately here shows that he wanted to be on his own, or at least with his close disciples. And we all know what that must feel like. We all know what it's like to have been busy. We all know what it's like perhaps to be scared or in danger. We all know what it's like to need a rest and to want to be on our own. But the crowds, they follow Jesus on foot. Jesus goes on the boat and the crowds they follow him. They must have been desperate to see him because we read here that there are many sick among them. So even those that were sick somehow managed to follow to where Jesus was going to be so that they could see him and receive help and healing from him. And so when Jesus landed on the boat, there was a huge crowd that were waiting for him. Now you can imagine what you would feel like. If you want some time on your own, you've had a perhaps you've had a busy day at work, you're stressed, you've had enough, you just want to come home, perhaps have a coffee, perhaps have a bath, perhaps just go and close the door to your bedroom, or whatever it is, you want to be on your own. And you come through the door from wherever you've been, and you've, there's, there's people in the house. Perhaps your spouse has got friends over, the in-laws have come round for dinner, or whatever it is, and you come back and you just want to be on your own. How, how do you feel? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, I'll be honest with you, sometimes rather than compassion or sympathy, I feel consternation and frustration. I just wanted some time to myself. But how did Jesus react? Jesus, we read, had compassion on them and healed their sick. Well, the word for compassion here is a strong word of emotion. Uh, we might say, his heart went out to them. He realized that these people were in deep need, and he was prepared to have his rest disturbed in order to help them. He healed their sick, which being a large crowd would have taken some time. So we see here the, the, the compassion of Jesus, the sympathy he had with people. In all the gospel accounts, we see this. He's always healing people, helping people in their needs. And the whole gospel, which means good news, is news of compassion, isn't it? Jesus didn't just have some rest disturbed here. He left the eternal rest of heaven to come here to earth to suffer and die for our sins. That is the great compassion of our God. In fact, that is what love is, isn't it? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The greatest love and compassion and sympathy ever shown was the Son of God laying down his life for us. And in terms of what it means to be a disciple... 
Well, the second half of 1 John 3.16 gives us the implications for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We need to be willing to sacrifice for the needs of others. There are so many needs and it's, it's hard to even know perhaps where, where do I begin. But perhaps just begin like Jesus did. With those needs that are right in front of you. We are part of a church and for example, there are many elderly folk who would just love someone to go and visit with them, spend some time with them, have a cup of tea, have a chat, read some scripture and pray. They would love for the company of someone to do that for them. Perhaps in the church, when you hear of a need, see if you can help in some way. But the greatest need that all people have is to know Jesus for themselves. So look around and see people who need to hear about Jesus in your life who are right in front of you. And see if you can take opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with them. Well, one danger with having sympathy for people like Jesus and helping them is that we can begin to think, if we are good at helping people, that we are the saviour. We can never meet the needs, though, of people on our own. And as our passage moves on, the disciples come to realize this for themselves. What they need is something that only Jesus has. So we've seen the divine sympathy of Jesus, but the next thing we see is divine supply. In verse 15, if you uh, just look there, it says, evening approached. Evening here isn't the night time, rather it is dinner time. People will need to eat. They're going to be getting hungry. And there is a need. And the disciples feel like they know exactly what to do. They know the answer. They know how they can help. And so in verse 15, they tell Jesus exactly what he should do. They say, it says there, uh, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. The disciples knew what was best. Come on, Jesus, time's up, enough compassion, send them away, they can go get some food, they're going to be hungry. But Jesus has other ideas. In verse 16, he tells them, perhaps uh, one of the most surprising verses in this passage, he says, they do not need to go away, you give them something to eat. Is Jesus joking? Is he having a, a, a bit of a, does he say that while he's elbowing them? No, he's being totally serious. Now, a couple of writers in this passage, though, say that he's, he, he, it's like the disciples are going to the Niagara Falls and saying, where can we get a drink? Because at the Niagara Falls, there's such a, a, a gush of water, there's so much water, it's a stupid question to ask when they're at the Niagara Falls. Jesus is standing there, the one who created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is God. They don't need to send the, the people anywhere else. They are standing with Jesus. He can supply their needs. And in order to, for the disciples to see this truth, Jesus tells them, well, you go and give them something to eat so that they would realize, but we can't do this. And so the disciples were forced to see their need 
of the divine supply that only Jesus could give. And if we want to be helping people in their needs, we can't rely on ourselves, really. We need the supply that only comes from God. And so in verse 17, we see that they do have some food. Five loaves of bread and two fish. The loaves would have been the equivalent of, um, as you say in the black country, round cobs. Okay, that's about the size perhaps of, of the loaves. Uh, they wouldn't have fed very many people at all. Uh, and the fish uh, with them was the equivalent of a packed lunch that could perhaps have been shared between one or two or three people. The fact that they say they only have shows that they realize that this isn't really going to be enough to feed all of these people. They recognize there and then their insufficiency to supply the needs of this great group. But even though they don't have very much, look at what Jesus tells them in verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. And then with the little that they had, Jesus directs the people to sit down and he feeds everybody. This is a divine supply. Jesus provides this food for everyone, having been given just five loaves and two fish. Now, you may read uh, in, some, in some places some rubbish uh, about how what really happened here was uh, Jesus uh, encouraged everyone to share the packed lunches that they brought with them. And so thousands of people were fed because Jesus encouraged them to share. That is just total rubbish. It makes no sense of what this passage is, is saying. This is a, a miracle of creation. This is something which only God can do. He takes the food. This is how we read it here. He takes the five loaves and the two fish. He gives thanks and he breaks it and it's distributed between all the people. Those five loaves and two fish, somehow in a way that we, 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 we don't read here, but it certainly happened in his hands are broken and are distributed among the thousands of people that are there. This is a miracle. Only God can do this. And that is a big point here. What is the identity of this man? Who is this Jesus? He is the God of creation who provides for his people. But notice how this divine supply comes. And here again we see the nature of discipleship. The divine supply comes through the disciples. Jesus manufactures the food, the bread from heaven, but he gives it to the disciples to give out. Now, Jesus is the God who supplies our needs. And there are two ways that Jesus does that supplying, which we see here. First of all, we see that he supplies needs in us. He supplies needs in us. So the physical needs of the people were supplied. They were given the food. They ate it. And in a moment, we read how they were full and satisfied. And God provides for us as well. We, earlier on in Matthew, in the Lord's Prayer, we read, Give us this day our daily bread. And it's hard for us in a, a country of, of plenty to remember the fact that it is God who supplies for our needs. There may be... 20 different types of bread on the supermarket shelves, but every uh, single bit of every one of those loaves of bread is there by the hand of our Father in heaven. 
God supplies our physical needs in us. He gives us what we need. But also he provides spiritual needs in us, the deep, those deeper needs. And the greatest need that we have is a, a relationship with God. And Jesus provides that in us as he dies on the cross to pay for our sin, which separates us from God. And as we become Christians, in us, God gives us his Holy Spirit to live in us so that we have all that we need to live as his disciples in this world. So he supplies needs in us, but also that divine supply is met through us as his disciples. He supplies in us, he supplies through us. He used his disciples here to supply the needs of the people that were eating. Using what little those disciples had, just those five loaves and two fish, with that meager provision, he did a work through them of providing for all those people on that day. And again, physical needs are supplied through us as we perform those works of compassion in other people's lives. Uh, so that's one of the big works of the church family, isn't it? To provide for one another. So that, as in Acts chapter 4, we read that there are no needy people among us because we're providing for one another, sharing with one another. God works through us to help others. And that applies as we supply needs to the outside world as well, as we help people, our neighbors and friends and such forth. But spiritual needs also are supplied through God's people. As we open up the Bible together and we read it together, as we share what Jesus has said and done. And it's a combination of speaking the truth and showing deeds of love that enables people to see the identity of Jesus through his people whom he has saved. And this is really encouraging for us because most of us, I'm sure, don't feel perhaps that we've got much to offer God. Perhaps we feel inadequate and we feel weak and feeble that we lack resources to really be used by God in any way. But what we see here, it is it's not faith in our resources that matters at all. Rather, it is faith in God to use whatever resources we have to do great things for him. No one here in this church or any Christian anywhere in the world is too inadequate for God to use them in amazing ways if we have faith in him and trust him with what we have. We can feel rubbish and feel like we're worthless and all of those things, but we don't need to. Because whatever we have, we bring to God and he can do great things as we trust in him. So we've seen Jesus' identity through divine sympathy and divine supply. However, we also see the deity of Jesus in the fact that the supply that Jesus gave was not meager. If I was to say to you, for example, I'm going to supply you with some money uh, to to pay your mortgage, and you might be getting really excited and saying, okay, Steve, come for coffee, and we'll talk about this, and then I come for coffee, and I give you 10p, and I say, there you go, 10p, I hope that helps. You're going to be thinking, what kind of a supply is that, right? What Jesus does here is supply to the greatest extent possible. 
Because in Jesus, we see divine satisfaction. Look at verse 20. We read here of the extent of the miracle. They all ate and were satisfied. So they all ate. That is, everyone there, which we'll see in a moment, is a lot of people. And all were satisfied. That means they were full up. They weren't hungry anymore. Jesus didn't just take the five loaves and miraculously make them so tiny that everyone got a little tiny piece. He took the five loaves and the two fish and he provided everyone with enough food that they were satisfied when they ate. All ate, all were satisfied. And it would have been, no doubt, tasty food, bread and fish from the hand of God himself. Likely this was the best meal that they'd ever eaten because it was made from the hand of God himself. And so they were satisfied, not just full up, but with what they had received. They were not wanting anything more. And that's what we want, isn't it, when we're hungry? I mean, who comes to a dinner table, if I invite you to my house for dinner, and you come along thinking, oh, I really hope after I've been there I'm going to be starving. Or who hopes that they, when they come to dinner, oh, I hope when I go there that the food's going to be gross. And I've been to places that have been both of those things, not much and not nice. When we're not satisfied. But Jesus here provides satisfaction on every level. He provides here satisfaction that is physical. He provides the bread that they need. But in John chapter 6, after John's account of the same miracle, Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is talking there of himself as the bread which satisfies. Divine satisfaction that comes from Jesus is the only true satisfaction that we can have. Why? Well, here in this passage, we see Jesus as the creator God where he creates food. And it's only when we are given what we need by the one who created us that we can find that true satisfaction. And what we need is a relationship with our creator, a relationship broken by sin. But Jesus, before he died, took bread and he said, this is my body given for you. That bread that he took symbolized the body Jesus was going to give for us on the cross the bread of life that enables us to be forgiven of our sin and have a relationship with God again. There are many uh, little gods in this world that promise us satisfaction. On the television, they advertise. You know, if you only had this, then you'll be really happy. They're all over the place. But only Jesus, the bread of life, fills us when we are hungry. So why don't you come and taste of this living bread by giving your life to Jesus today? But notice in this passage that we, that, that, that they only, uh, we only really see divine satisfaction for the followers of Jesus as they serve him. And I think that's the point of the basketfuls left over at the end. Notice that they are given, as his disciples serving him, a superabundant supply too. 
At the end of verse 20, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Why 12 baskets? Well, one for each disciple. The disciples were blessed by Jesus as they served him. And it's only as we serve Jesus by obeying his commands, even like in this case when they might not have made complete sense, commands like, well, you go feed them, or get everyone to sit down and with these loaves you're going to give out, or, and this fish you're going to give out to all these people. It would have sounded crazy to the disciples. But as they obeyed his commands, then they were satisfied as well. You know, God has, has given us his word to obey. And it's not just a set of rules that we must grudgingly do, but it's the way to true life. Radical obedience to the divine word of God is the way to divine satisfaction in God. And again, there are so many other things that promise us satisfaction. But only through King Jesus can we really find what we need as we serve him. And so the encouragement from this point is to, as his disciples, throw yourself into serving Jesus. With whatever little you have, give it to him. And may he use you for his glory and for your good. Because it's only as we throw ourselves into serving him that we receive that satisfaction that comes from him. And in verse 21, we get a picture of that, the extent of this, this great miracle. We read, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This miracle is known as the feeding of the 5,000, but it was 5,000 men. Women and children were in addition. No one knows the exact numbers that were there, but estimates are around, uh, in, in most commentaries I've read, the 25,000 mark. Imagine having to feed that many people with just five loaves and two fish. It become, it's, it's such a familiar story, I think we can forget the impact of it. It's huge, isn't it? Only God can do this. And in one sense, we, we see that, yes, only God can do this, because we see him doing this miracle in this way. But another way that we see God in this is the echoes from the Old Testament work of God that we see going on in this miracle that Jesus gives. Because in the Old Testament, God miraculously provides bread for his people. In Exodus chapter 16, for example, Moses led Israel in the wilderness when they came away from Egypt. And from heaven, there was manna that satisfied God's people. Bread from heaven feeding all of God's people all that they needed. Here Jesus is in a desolate place, like the wilderness, providing bread from heaven that satisfies the needs of his people. There's an echo there of what was going on, what God did in the Old Testament. The prophet Elijah was used by God to provide bread for the widow of Zarephath when she had only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And Elijah said to her, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And his word came true with just a handful of flour and a little olive oil. That woman was provided with bread. 
And then the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4 feeds 100 men with 20 small loaves, just like Jesus had here. And we read this in 2 Kings chapter 4. Notice the echoes that we see with Jesus here. Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. The prophet Eli- uh, sorry, Moses and Elijah and Elisha were all prophets of God. And Moses was told that another prophet would come. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. God's people were waiting for this greater prophet. And here we see Jesus, the God who provides for his people, the God we must listen to. But there is one more thing that this feast that Jesus provides points us towards. There is an echo from far back in the Old Testament, but there's also echoes from the future. Because earlier on in Matthew, Jesus spoke of a Another feast that God's people will come to in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And the book of Revelation speaks of this feast as a, as a great supper that God's people all gather around from from all over the world, from the east and the west and so forth, who sit down with those Old Testament saints in the kingdom of heaven, where we will eat and be satisfied forevermore. In heaven, we will see for ourselves and experience divine sympathy, divine supply, divine satisfaction that will last forever and ever as we are with the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come around the Lord's table and we have bread, we can have a foretaste now together as we part of that, of that heavenly feast, as, as a congregation of followers of Jesus, we partake of this small feast here. But before we do that, we're going to sing a song which speaks of this very event that Jesus, uh, what we read of Jesus doing here but also uh, speaks of the bread of life that we're going to partake of at the Lord's table. Uh, Break thou the bread of life. So let's stand as we sing together.